1: Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and
0: John. Or oh, is that prefer to think of it,
1: Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where me and my brother John answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, except
0: this week we're not going to do that because this is being recorded in advance. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well, th- thanks for asking. It's so sweet of you to, to be thoughtful like that. Uh, the other thing that we need to say, Hank, is that uh, in addition to this podcast being recorded uh, very far in advance... Uh, We're taking a week off after this week, which is, you know, good news for people who don't like dubious advice, uh, but bad news for people who love AFC Wimbledon. And get their AFC Wimbledon news only from dear John and Hank, which I know is a pretty significant portion of uh, uh, fans of the podcast. Most of them, I assume, listen for the news from AFC Wimbledon. Uh, Just follow me on Twitter or follow AFC Wimbledon on Twitter to find out what happened, whether the Dons did indeed qualify for the playoffs
1: oh so this is happening like right at the like most important moment in the history of this
0: year's afc wimbledon arguably the most important moment in the history of afc wimbledon potentially because potentially we have a 25 percent chance of going up to league one and becoming the greatest third tier soccer team in not just the history of england but the whole history of the universe
1: oh that's exciting john well i'm doing well as well um And we're going to answer some questions. Does that... Oh, no, you got a poem. Uh, Hank, got a poem. Hank, Hank, Hank.
0: usually we have a poem this part of the day. But? Well, do you want one? Yeah. Well... I mean, as much as I ever do. Wait. (laughs) 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 Uh, I thought we'd read another poem from Francis Cornford, Hank, the uh, poet whose husband was named Francis Cornford. This one is called The Guitarist Tunes Up. With what attentive courtesy he bent over his instrument, not as a lordly conqueror who could command both wire and wood, but as a man with a loved woman might, inquiring with delight what slight essential things she had to say before they started, he and she, to play. It's a little dirty, but, you know, I figure we can handle it. Yeah. All right. All right, Hank, should we answer some questions from our listeners? Uh, yeah. This question comes from Lisa, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my fiancé is starting a startup. He has funding and everything. It's super swell. Uh, This isn't his first time doing the startup thing, but it is his first time doing it in a serious relationship. He's already starting to feel pulled in multiple directions, like going to bed together, getting up together, doing all the work, staying in shape, plus normal day-to-day eating, cooking, cleaning stuff, and feels stressed because he doesn't feel like he's working enough. It is true that if you were working more, the products would get out the door faster, but it's also true that if he burns himself out, out in the process it's moot as busy well-rounded business people in successful relationships what words of advice would you have for us
1: I love the idea of a successful relationship every day of my relationship is full of success
0: I love the idea that we are well-rounded business people I I don't know anyone (laughs) in my life who is less well-rounded than Hank what do you mean I mean that you spend you regularly send emails at 315 in the morning Uh... I mean, because it's part of my roundness.
1: It's I, you gotta go all the way around <laughs> yes. if you want to be round.
0: <laughs> Hank. Yes, Hank is an extremely well-rounded individual. As long as uh, you are only measuring work output, <laughs>
1: yeah, It happens at all all times. Uh, I I oh yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be a hard one for me uh, because I I don't I don't know that I'm that good at this actually.
0: Uh, I don't think you're at all good at it. <laughs>
1: I do uh, I do work out at least twice a week. I sometimes make dinner like two or three times a week. I um, I watch like maybe an hour or two of TV a day. and uh, I read and I read probably one book a month. So I feel like I, I do okay.
0: Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Okay. That's fine. So, so what is your, what is your tip? Where, I mean, you are somebody who has a lot, has done a lot of starting up of companies that have become successful and now you have to run them while also starting up new companies to fill some uh, gaping hole uh, (laughs) in in, in your heart that only apparently more business ideas can fill. So what is, what is, what is your advice?
1: Uh, Well, I, I mean, I kind of think it's, it's a, it's a bit of a shame that this is how it's structured now that like you have to dedicate yourself a hundred hours a week to one thing in order to compete with all the people who are, you know, dedicating themselves to something for 90 hours a week, uh, because that's the only way to get ahead. And that's how your, you know, your investors are looking at you for your output and to, to get the product out. And I I mean, it, it is such a struggle. And, and like my life isn't like that because in the end, I. I don't have investors. I'm responsible to my employees. I am responsible to myself and I'm responsible to my audience. Uh, But like in, in the end, like if something, if there's a reason why I can't do something, I can say that reason. And it's not someone who is paying me or has this like, you know, this sort of very interesting relationship that funders have with, uh, with founders. Um, So I, I don't, I get to make a lot more decisions. I feel like than the average business owner in terms of how I spend my time, but um, but my my suggestion. It, it, but the main thing is okay. Here's here's my tip: figuring out how to not feel like you're being lazy when you are in fact taking care of yourself is about valuing that. Is about valuing the the other things in your life. And and because of this, I have a kind of unhealthy way of looking at it, but it is the only way I can manage to do it where I think of the things like taking care of myself, taking care of my relationships as projects in the same way as I think of my businesses. And so I'm like like creating a, a, like a happy, pleasant home environment that I enjoy and that is constructive to me is in itself... An important venture that an important project that I am taking on and one of the big projects of my life and one of the, like one of the most important things that I will do with my life. And, uh, and and looking at it that way allows me to not feel like I'm not working enough when, when I'm doing something that isn't traditionally considered work. That's what I got.
0: I like that answer a lot. I do think that uh, adulthood for me has largely been about, prioritization. And then to a lesser extent about um, weight gain. <laughs> and then the third thing that I would say that adulthood has been about for me has been uh, eschatological anxiety. I, I, a lot of <laughs> worry about the end of, of me and then to a lesser extent uh, of the species.
1: Well, well that's... I be, well, I'm, we got there early, John. Okay, we've got another question. This one's. This one is from Carly Grace, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, Ross said multiple times that he's painted over thirty thousand paintings, and I want one. He also said he's donated over two thousand of them. Where are those twenty-eight thousand other paintings? That's a lot of paintings. I imagine if he had like five paintings, they would each be each be worth." huge sums of money, but because this man painted so many, they might not be worth that much. Sentimentality, sure, but because there are so many, can I just pick
0: one up for $20? Where does one find a Bob Ross painting? Hank, I do not know the answer to this question, do you?
1: Uh, I kind of know the answer to this question, in that uh, if Bob Ross painted 30,000 paintings, which he said that he did, and I'm gonna trust that he did, I, they all have homes. People like them, and they have them, and they're on their walls, and they do not want to sell them because it is very hard to find a Bob Ross painting. It is. And and you can buy them, but they are expensive. Yeah. They're like $10,000 yeah. or like thousands of dollars at least. Um, and, and there are also like a lot of various kinds of Bob Ross paintings and some like – he did a lot of smaller ones. He when before he was a person on TV. He would paint uh, like gold panning pans when he lived in Alaska. Yeah, and so those are like a, like you know very valuable because he did them a long time ago versus smaller canvases versus and like I think a lot of them were given away to like friends and family and students and. Um, and donated, and then purchased in fund drives by PBS people, and uh, and the people who have those want to keep them. And there are a lot of Bob Ross fans in the world. And having a Bob Ross fan uh, Bob Ross painting on your wall is a really cool thing to have. And so, amazingly enough, you can ha- you can you can have painted thirty thousand paintings and still have people want to pay lots of money for them.
0: Pretty crazy. It is, uh, although, to be clear, I don't think there are 30,000 Bob Ross paintings in circulation. I think a lot of those have, have been lost, or maybe he painted them over. Who knows? Uh, we don't have a great idea of how many Bob Ross paintings are currently in circulation.
1: Yes, and uh, certainly less than 30,000 or even 28,000, because probably, like, when he's saying that, he's this is Bob Ross saying, I've painted a lot of paintings. That is how I am now able to do this quickly and well. Uh, but a lot of those paintings were, were probably just scrapped and like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And that's part of the process of being a creator is that oftentimes you, you know, as you know, John certainly knows you do not publish every word you write. And, uh, I'm sure I have
0: published fewer novels than I have written.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that that's true for Bob Ross, that he, uh, he painted a lot more paintings than, uh, that ended up. Of being in the hands of other people. It
0: occurs to me, belatedly, that lots of people probably don't know who Bob Ross is. He was a... Uh painter um, who painted uh, on public television in the United States and encouraged the idea that everyone uh, had sort of the ability uh, to paint and and helped us sort of like see art as something that regular people did not just uh, that was done by geniuses and ivory towers. Hank, we have another question this one comes from uh, Paul who writes, Dear John and Hank, over the past year I've watched my favorite soccer team Aston Villa become the worst team in the English Premier League. I am from the US and I have been a fan for about five Years, But since the second tier of English football is not televised in the States and Aston Villa will certainly be relegated within the next few weeks, bad news, uh, that that will certainly be relegated. Uh, must be changed now, Paul, to uh, has indeed been relegated. Uh, <laughs> is it wrong to swap my favorite teams? It feels disloyal after closely following them for years, but I have no other choice if I'm going to get my English football fix so here's my answer, Paul, and I'm I'm interested to see what Hank thinks about this question. Just kidding. He has no opinion. Um, <laughs> first off, you can watch uh, the championship, the second tier of English football uh, on TV. Uh, it's on BN Sports. Not every game is televised, but lots are. Uh, it's not necessarily an HD broadcast, but it is, it is a television broadcast, which frankly, I would kill to watch AFC Wimbledon uh, every week. And I'm not exaggerating. I would kill. No, I wouldn't.
1: <laughs> People die all the time. Yeah, I
0: mean, you know, I, I we're gonna I'm gonna need like more context on who I'm killing and what. No, I wouldn't kill. <laughs> uh, so I would say my experience following AFC Wimbledon from afar, w- which I'm lucky if they have one televised game per year, uh, is that it is still very fulfilling, and I'm able to watch Premier League soccer uh, and enjoy it even when Liverpool isn't playing uh, as a neutral fan. And so I think you can have a second team. I think sometimes it's good to have a second team. It's nice to have a rooting interest. But I don't think that you should leave Aston Villa behind, not least because I think they are very likely to head back to the Premier League within the next couple of years. Uh, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't leave Aston Villa. Um, but your support for Liverpool is always welcome.
1: Uh, that's all I have to say on that myself. Uh, this question is from Krista, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently went through natural childbirth without drugs or uttering even one single curse word. So I consider myself pretty tough. However, the other day I pulled at a hangnail and it pulled too far. Every time I move that finger, I think, ouch, that hurts. Why is this very small, stupid injury so troublesome?
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know. The idea of enduring natural childbirth without the benefit of obscenity uh, just seems uh, unthinkable to me i know that wasn't the question but i just want to say that for the record i have i have witnessed childbirth uh on a few occasions and the thought of not having profanity at your disposal in that time of need just seems unfathomable
1: yeah i get also uh am amazed And uh, but but now that I now I do know, though, John, this wonderful thing that when I get a really bad hangnail, I'm basically
0: experiencing the same pain as childbirth. So I don't think that's accurate. Um, Krista, I would say that Krista seems to think so. Yeah, the only thing I'd say, Krista, is that uh, your fingertips uh, have a lot of nerve That's endings, true. so that you can, you know, feel things, uh, and that may be part of why it hurts so much. But I can't imagine that it actually hurts more than childbirth. Not least because uh, my wife is in the next room and just came out from that room to look into this room. To look at me very sternly to make clear that childbirth is very painful, much more painful than a hangnail.
1: Yeah, it may be a a matter of scale and being like going into the experience saying this is going to hurt very badly versus there is this thing that happens to me all the time and it's stupid. And why, why, why does this hurt so bad and uh, is a useless, tiny, tiny, tiny thing? Uh, It shouldn't. And so you think so one would be like, why?
0: This is dumb. <laughs> All right, Hank, let's move on to another question. This one is from Megan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, what do you think are the top five best things humanity has ever invented? Ah, uh, This is a great question. Should we, should we do the fun list or the real list? No, I think we should do the real list. What are the top five all-time things that humanity has invented? Uh, language ah mm, uh, that's a good one that's a good one now th- there's a question of like do you count uh, like fire which we didn't invent but we did master and it's proven right. very useful
1: well you can say that we invented the, the processes with right so to like for instance we didn't
0: really invent penicillin so much as we discovered it but right. it's been huge however I would not rank penicillin in the top five I no, would rank either. language in the top five. I think that's a good one. All right, Hank. What about this? Is my uh, sort of twentieth century, actually nineteenth century nomination for the top five the steam engine? Um, good. I was actually going to say, yeah, yes. Well, the, so, mm, I
1: can we m- put the steam engine together with the electrical generator? Could that be one? because then definitely yes i think we almost have to i mean like steam engines were good and electricity but like connecting them to generators slash the steam
0: engine that's that yeah and those
1: were very different times and happened you know in different people and different places but like that's a that's a good one
0: Mm -hmm. um what about uh uh, what about sanitation slash uh, sewers slash toilets? Yeah, I,
1: I think that I think that's a really good one. I think that yes, that'll that basically allowed for cities to work.
0: Yeah, it's one of my top five, just because I'm such a big fan of uh, of not not cholera. hmm
1: mm-hmm. I I think uh, I think that we would be remiss to leave out uh, the invention of taking a seed uh, that you want to grow. And putting it in the ground intentionally for it to grow there.
0: Yeah, um, that, that was, was huge. The, agriculture. Yeah, a, agriculture, agriculture, and, and, is and all a of the big uh, deal. all of
1: the processes of 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 you know that go along with agriculture of selecting the things that went well and 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 having you know planting those more and then selecting the things that went well over and over again through generations uh, has been a, a really big one. Um,
0: yeah we've got one, more. We got one more I think that we're, we're I think that we're on the same page about what the fifth one has to be
1: uh is it let's
0: just say it on three ready one two three vaccines. Bowling pins oh, bowling pins are great but I think vaccines are an even bigger deal than the personal computer <laughs> I, I I would be all right without the personal computer I don't I mean we wouldn't have this podcast uh that's for sure but I don't think I'd be all right without vaccines. No,
1: I mean, antibiotics are a really big deal, too. Um, Yeah, no, I I like
0: antibiotics, but I think vaccines are a bigger
1: deal. I'm not sure which one I think is bigger. I'm not sure which one I think is bigger. I guess, you know, vaccines probably bigger Mm. than antibiotics. It's hard. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they're both great. I'll tell you what, when people ask me, like, what period of the past I'd like to go back to, just none, none, because all of those periods in the past... Terrible, 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 Terrible. full of gangrene, full of not garlic bread. Just like gangrenous, horrifying, anesthesia-free surgeries.
1: Yeah, give me, yeah, give me, give me podcasts, give me iPhones.
0: You know what I was thinking about I love recently, Hank? Toothpaste. Ah, yeah, I like toothpaste, too. I think it's a good, I think it's a good job. And fluoridated water. There's so many things that I love. About twenty first century living, you know. Another thing that I think is an underappreciated invention: photography. Oh, uh, the man. idea yes. that we can use light and time mm-hmm. uh, to create an image is—it's it's just a fascinating idea that we never we, we never had that idea for like ninety nine point nine percent of human history.
1: Right, and and the you know, for historians, it's so huge because what we paint and what we draw and what we sculpt is very you know, like, it's, it's never, it's, it's oftentimes not accurate. It's, it, we're trying to create pieces of art that, that have a lot of context with regards to the his like the moment that they are created in, but we lose all of that context. Whereas uh, with, with a photograph, at least we know that this is, this is the thing that and, and you know, sometimes, like, there's context there, too, but, like, you can see what things looked like, how people dressed, and, yeah,
0: and, yeah like... Yeah, although you're always, I mean, you're always seeing, uh, to an extent, even with a photograph, you're seeing a staged image, right. and that's something that's, mm-hmm. like, hard to remember, because photographs feel, there's a great essay um, uh, about this by, by Susan Sontag on photography, where she talks about how, you know, photographs seem real... Uh, but of course, you know, they aren't, or, or at least we need to like interrogate their, their realness. Uh, but I, I, I am just completely bowled over by the photograph and we take it for granted because we Mm -hmm. live in this world that's, that's super saturated with images where people, you know, uh, most people around the world have images, uh, you know, in their, in their homes, on their walls. Uh, we take images for granted now access to images, but, uh, it's all very new.
1: it is and very cool. Do you want another question? Sure, I could just talk about inventions all day, but we yeah, let's what's what's another one. Uh, we got one from Lorena who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do you ask for a surprise party? I want one, but it wouldn't be a surprise if I told someone that I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Your dubious advice is needed. Well,
0: Lorena, the first thing that you do <laughs> is uh you just ask your friends uh to listen to Dear Hank and John. Right? Yeah. Because Uh you have a pretty unusual name, Lorena. Not unprecedented, certainly, but fairly unusual. Uh, So Lorena's friends and or family, she wants a surprise party. Give Lorena a surprise party and make it truly surprising. Don't make it on Lorena's birthday. That's right. I mean, make it a surprise party.
1: I think that this goes for everyone who knows anyone named Lorena. And if you have... That's right.
0: All Lorena's love surprise parties. That's a rule. Hank. If
1: you if you throw a, a surprise Lorena party, yeah. send us your pictures of it. Yeah. We'll put them up on the Patreon. Yeah. And I'm very excited, especially if they are the wrong
0: Lorena. Uh, Yeah, just Um, like shower Lorena's around the world with stunning parties. It's
1: just like 85-year-old your grandmother named Lorena gets a surprise party. I'm into it.
0: Yep, she just like comes home at the end of the day, uh, long day, uh, doing whatever 85-year-olds do when they go out. (laughs) Comes back home, there's like 300 people in her house (laughs) chanting, Lorena, Lorena, Lorena. <laughs> I'm sure that 85 year old grandmothers love that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Hank, um, are
0: you a surprise party fan?
1: Uh, I don't know that I've ever had one.
0: I had one. I hated it.
1: I uh, and I feel bad because it's totally possible I haven't. I forgot.
0: No, I had one. I remember. I it, it was uh, before Sarah and I uh, started dating, and it was it was a very well intentioned surprise party. The problem is, I don't like. Parties, uh, and I certainly don't like having them sprung upon me. I have to work myself. <laughs> up for several weeks to prepare for any kind of social engagement so to walk into a, a restaurant thinking that you're going to have dinner with just one person and to find that instead you're going to have dinner with like 18 of them, it just made my stomach hurt.
1: And, and I think also that they're like at certain like there's, there becomes, there's an age at which it doesn't make sense because you're gonna celebrate the person's birthday party no matter what and so you're not gonna have a surprise birthday party because they know that there's a birthday party Because but like after a certain age then you start not necessarily having a of a thing every year and so the surprise becomes like easier
0: to pull off um well lorena doesn't mention a birthday no she does um, not that's that's why i think a surprise party for lorena has to be not on a birthday because then you see it coming it has to be a truly random surprise party Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Uh, what what I'm worried about, John, and I think this is a legitimate g- legitimate concern, is that no one who knows Lorena listens to Dear Hank and John, or they think we're kidding, which we're
0: not. Well, but Lorena is obviously going to tell people, like, oh, you really need to listen to the newest episode of Dear Hank right. and John. It's such a fantastic podcast about death. <laughs> and if you don't listen to it, you're uh, not a real And then friend. they'll be sucked in. Uh, By the way, Hank, can I just ask you a somewhat related question that I, 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 I just, I find this a fascinating question to ask people along the lines of how you ask people what their favorite bridge is to try to get to know them. hmm do you remember or can you remember a wonderful surprise moment in your life? Like if I asked you what was the best surprise of your life, what would you say? Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. have you ever had like one of those like bolts of lightning from out of nowhere that's just wonderful news?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, the the first thing that came to my mind was was realizing that my... My uh, that this girl that I was really into was also into me, and that like that seemed like mm. so unlikely, like so <laughs> like so impossible, and I didn't believe it. But like but like all the signs pointed to it, and uh and 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 I like had to make myself accept it. I've got I've got some others though. There was a uh uh there was a large media company that wanted to buy my blog once. And uh yeah. and getting that email was just like, What? I I'm gonna make money. It didn't end up happening.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say then it, it fell apart it when the economy apart. collapsed yes. in two thousand
1: eight. Yep. Yeah. Um and that that was definitely one of them. Also getting that email uh saying that like like the first like three years of Vlogbrothers was like that happening like once a month. And mm, that was just that not was, the first seven months of Vlogbrothers, no. but yes, I know yeah. what you mean. There was just there were a lot of a lot of like Oh my God! This is happening. This is happening, and it was it was very right. exciting, and and that sort of culminated in and uh, getting an email from someone being like, "Do you want to go interview the president?" Um, which was a pretty pretty <laughs> intense surprise. Uh, but like that wasn't as like wonderful though because it also came with this whole bag of anxiety.
0: <laughs> right, it all comes with all this stress. Yeah, the one the ones that stick out for me are first and foremost uh, the day that I w- uh, we just moved to Indianapolis in, uh, I think, July of 2007, and uh, I was on my computer looking at the front page of YouTube, and I saw your face, mm-hmm. and I realized that we'd been featured on YouTube, and, and that like our lives were dramatically different than they had been 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other that comes to mind is when I found out the about the movie deal uh, for Looking for Alaska, which has become... A very complicated <laughs> moment in my life. Uh, Eleven years later, but at the time, uh, you know, was by far the most money that I'd ever made uh, from from writing, and 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 made it possible for us to move to New York and lots of other things. And it really did happen like out of nowhere. Um, and so that was that that was a pretty uh, fun moment. It's I think it's I just think it's nice to remember those surprise moments. Like it gives me a little uh, jolt of encouragement mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. life.
1: Um, I've got a somewhat related question from Megan who asks, Dear Hank and John, I love listening to the podcast. It beats out all other podcasts in my listening lineup. So wow. And I have started to refer to it in my head as Brotherhood 3.0. Is listening to the podcast anything like watching the Brotherhood 2.0 videos when they first came out? I feel like I am now truly enjoying the Nerdfighters as part of something and not just catching up. Congrats on a year of potting. Almost. And do either of one, either one of you surf? No, neither of us surf. No. I don't think. John, did you start surfing? I surf a lot of the internet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, it, it is. I I wanted to talk about this uh, because I. It is. Yeah,
0: it is a lot like that in some way. Um, yeah, it it feels more like uh, Brotherhood 2.0 than anything that we've done since 2007. Yeah, And it's that's a wonderful feeling. I hope that it's fun for our listeners, but it is a wonderful feeling for us. Um, you know, it's wonderful to see people make like Jurassic Mars artwork. It's wonderful to see people uh, make jokes about Ryan, whose name is Ryan. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, I just want to be clear about that. It wasn't Ryan's fault. Ryan didn't <laughs> repeat Ryan's name over and over again in Ryan's <laughs> email. It was me... Uh, it was me repeating Ryan's name. Ryan is not to blame for this situation. Only I am to blame. Um, but yeah, I, it it is a really, it's really fun to have that uh, back and forth and to feel like um, things are, you know, like it, it, it feels like a community where lots of stuff is getting created on top of lots of other stuff, which is how Brotherhood 2.0 felt for me. Um and yeah, I haven't I haven't had that feeling since 2007. So I, I think you're I think you're onto something. Yeah,
1: I mean, I th- I think that it lasted longer than 2007. But I th- I think that now there's so much built up on the YouTube channel, and I feel a lot of responsibility to make content that I'm very careful about, and that is you know like I spend a lot of time thinking about that content, and and I feel I feel like I have to because it. Has a broad audience, and it has you know potentially gets watched by lots of people. They're not all the time. And uh, recently, we had a but v- episode a video on Vlogbrothers that probably got fewer listens or views than a podcast. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah,
0: it's kind of true. Um, I mean, it's just fun. It's just I, I don't know. This is this is so much fun. It's so purely fun. You know what I mean? It
1: feels way more accessible because like I, we don't put. Like we don't build up, not, not all of this like infrastructure is built up on it and we're just messing around and like that's really nice. And I'm really glad that we're doing it even though this is the second one we've done in a row and, and my voice hurts a little bit and I've gotten hungry and I have
0: to pee. But let's keep going. Uh, well, Hank, we have a question <laughs> as it happens from ryan oh it's not the same ryan but oh. i'm just I'm so excited about it uh <laughs> ryan writes dear john and hank my name is ryan <laughs> <That's>, I'm, <laughs> I'm just reading it i'm just reading it i promise and i comma ryan am currently in my second year of college uh just he He didn't repeat himself, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, I'm a writer, a soccer player, a devout lover of Harry Potter, and a brother. I also happen to be gay. I like to think that being gay doesn't define me as a person, but as I've gone through adolescence and been introduced to some of the realities of adulthood, i found my experiences to be inexorably filtered through the lens of my individual perspective. Like, I find it very difficult, for example, to even begin to imagine any high school experience that doesn't feature acute and exhausting bullying due to sexual orientation. Similarly, I find it virtually impossible to imagine a life that doesn't include the utterly terrifying experience of coming out. This is problematic for me as a writer because, of course, the majority of people don't see through this lens, and yet I find myself struggling to see anything outside of it. How do I remove this lens from my perspective so that I can empathize with and tell the stories of people with different experiences, people who live with different realities? Or maybe is it just my job as someone from the LGBT community to tell the stories of LGBT people? I would very much appreciate your dubious advice. I mean, our advice on this is going to be especially dubious because it's so far outside of our own experience. But I do think Ryan brings up a really important point here, Hank, which is that um, we talk a lot about uh, people from the dominant culture uh, writing outside of that dominant culture or trying to tell stories outside of that dominant culture. We almost never talk about um, the opposite. Like this great YA writer, Daniel Jose Older, who's uh, also a great follow on Twitter, um, wrote about how he wants to see a, um, a, a panel at uh, a conference about writing someday where it's all uh, writers of color talking about how to write white people <laughs> because we have all of these... We have all of these panels where white people talk about how to write uh, about characters of color. And I think um, it's a really, really good point that uh, it's another way that we are sort of like focused on uh, the dominant culture. I, I don't think it's my place to tell you what kind of stories to write, Ryan. But I, I from my own experience... Um, especially with my first novel, it was impossible for me to put away the lenses of my own experience, because that's a big part of what I wanted to write. And that's a big part of, you know, what made me want to tell a story in the first place. And the other thing I'd say is that you're in your second year of college. Like, you're still, uh, you are you know, you're still finding your own writing voice. You're still processing that own, exp- your, your own experiences of high school. And so I think inevitably they're going to shape your writing. And I think that's good news. I think, uh, you know, the world needs to hear uh, that story. And I don't think that you should feel bad about uh, wanting to tell it. I do think that uh, over time, y- y- you know, you-, you learn how to use your own experiences to imagine uh, what life might be like for a fictional character. And that's a big part of uh, this kind of imaginative leap of writing. But I'm never going to be able to write uh, a character um who went to high school and loves harry potter and knows what it's like to be bullied about their sexual orientation uh the way that you can and i think that's good news for you and i think that's that's part of why i want to see your story in the world that was a really good answer and i don't have a ton to add well why don't we ask one more question since we don't have news from mars and afc wimbledon this week wait hank what We've totally forgotten about our sponsors. We did forget about our sponsors,
1: John. Uh, uh, and, and I apologize to our sponsors. Uh, who I'm include, so sorry, sponsors. Who include the art of Bob Ross. Mm. Bob Ross's art, it's, it's available sometimes on eBay for lots of money. Uh, but also, there are other artists that you can purchase their work for less money who probably need your money
0: more than Bob Ross who is dead. (laughs) That was was such a good advertisement, Hank. You should really get into professional full-time advertising. (laughs) I think that's how it works. Today's podcast is also brought to you by a well-rounded, balanced life. (laughs) A well-rounded, balanced life. Kind of foreign to us, actually.
1: Yeah, a little, little bit. This podcast is also brought to you by Lorena's birthday party, or any kind of surprise party for Lorena. Whichever Lorena, for whatever
0: reason. Lorena's they need you to celebrate them in a surprising way and lastly today's podcast is brought to you by agriculture agriculture the invention that made it all possible
1: oh yeah and also also language was an important part of making it all possible
0: yeah I mean I don't think it's funny I, I wonder if we could have had uh, agriculture without language I also wonder are emojis language because if not does that mean that my new 700-page novel written entirely in emojis is a post-linguistic novel?
1: John, you probably should have tried to write an entire novel with just facial expressions. So just film yourself for, for hours making facial expressions mm-hmm. and see, see what kind of story you could tell.
0: That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does a 700-page emoji novel, John. Well, you're gonna love it. It's full of surprises, including airplane trips... Fires and smiling poop.
1: We've got a couple of things uh, before we get to our last question that are just responses that I want to talk to. Uh, Emily writes in to say that during an episode, uh, and much to her horror, Hank called bananas appealing and nobody laughed. I did not mean to make that joke, but I am also
0: horrified. And we've got another one from... from. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is is just such a terrible pun, but I would like to congratulate Emily on noticing it. Also, Liam wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, this isn't really a question, but it is important. In one of the podcasts, Hank recommended asking someone what their favorite bridge was in order to start a conversation that isn't your everyday, hey, what's up? Well, I said this to a girl I liked, and now I am going to prom with her. Success. I guess all of your advice is not dubious. Liam, (laughs) if... If you walked up to a girl, asked her what her favorite bridge was, and then, like, within a couple hours, she was your prom date, let me submit that Hank's advice had nothing to do with it. Very
1: little. Very little.
0: <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> though. I hope you have a wonderful prom. Um, Hank, I'm going to be uh, crashing a prom this year. Did I tell you that? No, that's weird. I crash a prom every year. What? Yeah, so every year, there's this uh, great uh, fundraiser for an organization I'm not going to name, has, uh Hardcore fans show up at the fundraiser and uh, but downstairs from it. There's a prom and every year. uh, I sneak in with with some of my friends (laughs) Do people recognize you ever? Oh, no. No, they just think that they think that we're chaperones,
1: right? I guess that makes sense. Yeah,
0: So, anyway, looking forward to crashing prom again this year. It should be fun.
1: Sounds like it's going to be a great time.
0: All right, uh, Hank, let's ask one more question or answer one more question, but we could also ask one. Why don't you ask it and I'll answer it?
1: Okay, I've got a final question for you, John. Oh, boy. This question is from... I've got it. It's from Grace, Mm -hmm. who asks, Dear Hank and John, I am absolutely furious with the minds of humans on this planet. I am so utterly and completely full of rage, and the root of this anger can only be traced to one thing, vegetables. Mm. It has come to my attention that every piece of food classified as a vegetable can be sorted into already existing food categories with strict parameters for acceptance. For example, peppers have seeds and therefore should rightfully be placed with other foods with seeds known as fruits. Why has our species decided to compile a group of foods that have so little in common and no definitive qualities? How has this terrible categorization been allowed to exist, and what can we do to stop it?
0: Well, Grace, the answer to your question uh, is that you're right that, like, potatoes have very little in common with broccoli, which has very little in common with, uh, you know, like, green peppers. What those foods do have in common is that most people— don't like eating them <laughs> unless they are deep-fried. <laughs> so we've taken all the foods that we don't like eating unless they're deep-fried, and what we do is we just call them vegetables.
1: <laughs> it's, I mean, basically, yes. I I actually have... John, you may be surprised to find out complicated thoughts on this matter. Um,
0: I'm not surprised to find that out at all. I mean, I thought that I pretty much elucidated the entire thing, but you can go on if you want.
1: Uh, so there are... We, we classify things different ways and for different reasons. Vegetables are classified uh, with respect to human use, not with respect to their biology. And the the best example of this is Fahrenheit versus Celsius. These are two mm-hmm. scales that uh, have are very practically different for practically for practical reasons. They are not just objectively different, and there isn't one that's objectively better. So we have Celsius. We have Fahrenheit here in America, but Celsius is often referred to as the superior scale because it makes sense. At zero degrees, water freezes. At 100 degrees,
0: water boils. But there's a problem with it, which is that Fahrenheit is clearly better for actual humans, correct. because at zero degrees Fahrenheit, it is cold, and at 100 degrees Fahrenheit, it is hot.
1: Yes, and with Celsius, at zero degrees
0: Celsius, it is cold, and at 100 degrees Celsius, you are dead. (laughs) Also, at zero degrees Celsius, it isn't that cold. You know what I mean? Like, it's cold, you should (laughs) should, should wear pants, but, like, you're not going to die of exposure.
1: Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, zero degrees uh, Fahrenheit is when you should be legitimately worried about... Your like life outside, as is from my perspective, 100 degrees
0: Fahrenheit. but the. the uh, oh, yeah, I strongly agree. <laughs> I don't go outside at either. I, I don't go outside at over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or under zero degrees Fahrenheit. That's the whole reason we created Inside was to protect us from those kinds of natural disasters. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> protect us from the negatives and the three figures. Uh, and, and in the same way, vegetables is a classification for human use, not based on their biology, not based on science. And so it can be frustrating once we start seeing things from a scientific perspective to be like, ah, God, why do we use these dumb systems? But it's because humans are humans and we use things for human reasons and vegetables are a categorization that's like well it's the things that seem kind of like vegetables and fruits
0: are the, the sweet things that have juice in them and stuff Um and yeah but then you've got the weird like crossovers I mean I kind of see the point that for instance tomatoes right right yeah they are right Even they are right for there in the in classification yeah. they live in a weird in between space because they're juicy mm-hmm. but they aren't delicious mm-hmm. they're like kind of good, but they're not great. Like, like a pear is great. Mm-hmm. A tomato is, like, good. Like, a good quality heirloom tomato is an enjoyable eating experience, but it's not something that you want to have 40 of.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want to have 40 pears either. Yeah, you but there do. Aren't a, like, I do. <laughs> you know, just, like, shoving a tomato in your face uh, doesn't tend to happen. And it would happen a lot more if it tasted more like a pear. Right. Uh, so... Uh, though I'm not going to take anything away from people who love tomatoes. Uh, and and I did not know how good tomatoes were until I moved to Montana and had, like, not from Taco Bell tomatoes. Uh, yeah, there no, are those some, are better. Some Nothing really against amazing.
0: Taco Bell, which uh, we are we are hoping will become a sponsor of this podcast. I love me some quesalupas. <laughs> I Hank, I don't like it when you talk about brands and large corporations that could potentially sponsor us as if they aren't delicious, positive contributors to the social order.
1: All right. Well, I I have, you know, I, I've been known to visit a Taco Bell, John. I've been known. Oh, that's to visit disgusting. Taco Bell.
0: I can't believe I can't believe you've been to a Taco Bell. I last went to a Taco Bell in 1996. I have oh. no idea what what's currently happening there. I, I last went to a Taco Bell probably more than a
1: month ago. <laughs> so, like, you know, not every day. <laughs> I have complicated thoughts oh, okay. on whether or not something should be a vegetable. And I think it's I think it's kind of confusing to have taken this existing word that existed for the description of something based on how humans use it and apply it scientifically, particularly with fruit, not so much as vegetable. I kind of feel like, and I know that there are, like, there are, classifications of what a vegetable is, but I kind of feel like a vegetable is kind of anything that can be grown on a plant and eaten. I don't know if that's accurate, but a fruit feels like it's a thing, and it has a scientific definition. Um, And it frustrates me that we use that same word uh, because they mean different things and so so really what we're saying when, when we say fruit is that it is like many words a word with multiple definitions and some of like some of that's based on how we use the, the, the food item and some of it's based on the biology of the plant structure. I
0: mean I, I thought that nothing could be less interesting than ending a podcast with the news from Mars, but I was wrong <laughs> 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 ah, don't be mean. Hank, what did we learn today?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, let me scroll up and see what
0: we learned today. Uh, we learned that... <laughs> I mean, I learned way, way more than I ever wanted to know about vegetable classification.
1: Uh, we learned that the pain of a hangnail is similar to the pain of childbirth. <laughs> it's
0: just, that is just it's... not true. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's
1: why it's funny We learned to say.
0: that without agriculture and language, we would have been in big, big, big trouble.
1: Uh, and we learned that when, when push comes to shove and I'm forced to think of, of something really fast, I tend to just say bowling pin, apparently.
0: And most importantly, we learned that Lorena, all Lorenas everywhere, need to be surprised with parties. Immediately.
1: Immediately. Thanks
0: so much for listening to Dear Hank and John. You can email us your questions or your comments at hankandjohn at gmail.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter. You can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John or just reply to us. I'm uh, John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green. Or you can, you can follow us on our preferred social media, Snapchat. Hank is Hank, G R E. I am uh, John Green's Naps, or John Green's Naps. <laughs> this podcast is edited by Nicholas
1: Jenkins. Uh, the theme music is from Gunnarola. Rosianna Hals Rojas helps us out with the questions. Uh, our intern, our wonderful intern, is Claudia Morales. You can help support the podcast and all of those people by going to patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. And as they say in our hometown,
0: don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.